Just as others are gathering in with us this evening, we'll maybe begin a time of community singing. I know many have been enjoying uh, these few minutes just before the service begins as we sing through some of the old gospel hymns. So we're just going to sing a few through this evening before we begin our meeting tonight. All been well. Everyone should be behind me. If it goes wrong, I'll look simply at Samuel and let him sort it out because me and computers, well, they don't go together. So let's see how we get on and we sing through a few of our hymns, please. Next we have hymn number 204. Let us sing of his love once again, O, of the love that can never decay, of the blood of the Lamb who was slain, till we praise him again in that day. And if you really believe the chorus, it says there, I believe Jesus saves. You sing out to the best of your ability this evening. Let's see how we can really raise the volume tonight. Let's sing together.
hymn 212. You're singing well. You're encouraging others to come in. Every time I look up, there's more coming through the doors, so you must be doing something right. Let's keep it up as we sing hymn number 212. Two hundred and fifteen is our next one. Years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified, knowing not it was for me he died on Calvary. And again, what great truth is in this hymn that he died for me at Calvary. And you know, men and women, as we join here tonight, he died for you also. That is the great truth of salvation. That is the good news of the gospel. He died for each and every one of us. And I trust tonight, even as we're singing through the hymns, as we listen to the word in song tonight, as we hear the gospel message proclaimed, that if you're yet outside of Christ, if you do not know Christ as your own and personal saviour, well, tonight will be the night. Tonight you will come and you will put your trust and faith in Christ. Let's sing this hymn once again, please.
we're singing well. We'll keep going while we are singing well. Hymn 383. There will never be a sweeter story. Story of the Saviour's love divine. praise tonight is the hymn number 267 i will sing the wondrous story of the christ who died for me how he left his home in glory for the cross on calvary now you're singing well but i always say that we sing much better when we're on our feet so when we get the note we'll stand to our feet as we begin our gospel service tonight please
Just at the commencement of our gospel service tonight, we're going to bow in a word of prayer. And we're going to ask our clerk of session, Mr. Phil Moffat, if he'll come and just open our meeting tonight in prayer, please. Let's bow for prayer. Eternal, most gracious and heavenly Father, we do thank thee that at the commencement of this, our gospel service, we can approach thee in and through the name of thy Son, our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, thou dost know why we are gathered together this evening to hear once more of the greatest love story that ever was told. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. We thank thee, Lord, that thou hast come to seek and to save that which was lost. Thou hast told us in thy word that he that climbeth up any other way, well, the same as a thief and a robber. And Lord, as we gather together under the sound of thy word this evening, we are very conscious that thou art one of our number. Thou hast said that where two or three are gathered together in my name, there will I be in the midst. And so, Lord, we are aware this evening that the Spirit of God is present this evening in the town hall. And all who are gathered in are not here by chance. But in the foreknowledge of God, thou hast deemed it fit to bring each and every one under the sound of thy word this night. So we're not here by chance. And yet, Lord, we thank thee for this further gospel opportunity to once more hear the words of light and life to hear those words of salvation. We thank thee, Lord, that we will gather once more at the cross this evening. And Lord, we, we do pray that as the word of God would go forth, that the Spirit of God may move in the hearts and souls of men. Many of us can look back to a time in our own experience when we came into a mission such as this and we were without God and without hope in this world. And it was there as we sat under the sound of the word of God that we saw our dire need. We were outside of Christ without the God of heaven in our lives just going through the formalities of worship not knowing the Christ of God ourselves. And yet, Lord, as we sat under the sound of thy word, the Spirit of God made himself known unto wretched sinners such as we. And we were enlightened unto gospel truth and were born again of the Spirit of God. We had our robes washed and made white in the precious blood of the Lamb. We started out for heaven and for home. I'm very aware this evening that it is possible that there may be some gathered with us this evening that know nothing 
of the grace of God in their life. Know nothing of salvation or the redemption afforded to sinners such as we. So Lord, we pray that as the word is expounded this evening, that thou wilt be pleased to make the sinner uncomfortable in his sin. Bring him under conviction of sin, we pray. And grant that this night new names might be written in the Lamb's book of life. As sinners are liberated from the bondage of sin and set gloriously free. How we long that this evening there may be one, even more than one, who will set out for heaven and for home this night. So we pray for thy servant as in a few moments he will come and expound the scriptures of truth. We pray that the blessing of God and the anointing of the Spirit might be upon our dear pastor. Give him souls for his hire this night we pray. And grant that thou wilt take us away as a people rejoicing in the God of our salvation. All we long to do this night is to uplift and to exalt and to magnify the King of kings and Lord of lords. For it's in thy name that we pray. Amen. Thank you, Phil. Throughout this gospel mission that we've been having, we've been very blessed each night to have uh, talented singers. And tonight is no different. Uh, tonight we welcome uh, Sarah Knowles, who is with us, and to come and to minister in song. So, Sarah, if you'd like to come on ahead now. Thank you. shorter. <laughs> um, it's good to be with you tonight. Um, I'm going to start off by singing two pieces, um, Beneath the Cross of Jesus and then a medley, uh, which is I Need Thee Every Hour, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus and Amazing Grace.
Sarah for singing to us tonight for the challenge she has brought to us and I trust that tonight even that may be the song in your mouth as you leave tonight that I once was lost
but now I'm found. We trust tonight, even as our mission is drawing to a close, uh, the final week of our mission, that you'll be found, you'll come, and you'll give your life to Christ. We welcome you tonight. For all those who have joined with us, we give you a special word of welcome. We welcome Pastor Bowles and his wife. We I see slipping in there, and I think I spied the Reverend Morrow from our Bush Mills congregation. I did see him, but I can't see him now. He's here somewhere. Good to see you, brother. And those who are here for the first time, those who are here uh, joining us again, each and every one of you are especially welcome tonight. And to those who are joining with us on Facebook, Sermon Audio, and uh, so on and so forth, we do uh, welcome you tonight to our meeting. As uh, has been said, it is the last week of our two-week mission. Uh, tomorrow night is the final weeknight of our mission and then our meeting on the Lord's Day evening. And we do trust that you'll join with us once again. We have been encouraged by your presence. It would be a lonely stand, I know, even leading the meeting, if it was just me here at the front. I know for our brother it would be lonely if he was preaching to just the empty chairs. So we do appreciate you taking the time to come and to support this mission. But we do urge you to join with us again tomorrow night and then on the Lord's Day evening once again. As has been announced and has been encouraged to God's people, uh, the prayer meetings are at 7.30, half an hour before our weeknights there in the MacArthur room uh, just down below us. Tomorrow night we have uh, singers with us once again. We have Marcus and Cherith Leckie with us and then on the Lord's Day our Hebron Choir. Tomorrow night, uh, there's no PowerPoint for it here and that's why it's threw me off a little bit. Tomorrow night, if you could remember to bring with you a love offering. We're lifting a love offering for our pastor. He has laboured faithfully in the word over these past number of nights. And we do want to encourage him by lifting a love offering for him. So just bear that in mind even as you come. There will be baskets provided at the door on the way out. And please just remember that especially. Tomorrow night we have a special testimony as has been announced, uh, our brother Andy Copeland, who was ex-paramilitary. Uh, so do make a special effort to invite those of your friends, of your family, of those who have uh, so far declined your invitation. I know it can be difficult, it can be uh, challenging even to uh, speak to family members, to speak to friends and so on, and ask them to come out to a gospel mission. Here's your opportunity tomorrow night for this special testimony and you invite them along and trust that God will answer even the prayer of your heart and bring them out tomorrow night. Just before our brother comes to bring the word tonight, we're going to stand to our feet once again and we're going to sing the hymn number 252. Softly and tenderly Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. I wonder tonight, is the Lord calling you? Maybe you've come faithfully, you've come nearly every night to the mission but as of yet, you haven't given your life to Christ. I trust that tonight that God will call you. He'll call you tonight, and this will be the night of your salvation.
We'll ask if our sister Sarah will come and minister to us in song once again, please. So this piece is called His Mercy is More. once again. It is a joy and a delight to even to welcome our own pastor uh, to the pulpit tonight, to the platform here, to even to bring uh, tonight's gospel message. Now if you're a believer in the meeting tonight, I trust you'll pray for him, even just now as he comes, but even uh, tomorrow and through into the weekend, you'll continue to pray for him, even as he comes and brings the gospel message to us. We appreciate Ryan uh, leading tonight. Thank you very much. And uh, Sarah for coming and singing so well, so powerfully, and bringing us to the heart of the gospel. When you sing about the cross and you sing about the mercy of God, you're really getting to the very heart of what these meetings are all about. I add my words of welcome to each and every one here this evening. Good to see so many. 
74 years ago, this building was filled night by night for a gospel mission when the great Northern Ireland evangelist W.P. Nicholson came to preach. And all those souls were converted. Uh, Tommy was telling me about Duncan Campbell, who came one night. I can't remember the year, Tommy. Maybe you can't remember just... Huh? 1967. And uh, he came just the one night. And there might have been activity outside, but he went on preaching a pipe band or something. He was playing. So that was a wee bit of competition, but he preached the word. And uh, this building is known for gospel preaching. And we're glad to be here. We've only two more nights. This mission was organized for two weeks, and the two weeks have gone so quickly. So there's tomorrow night, and they will be here to give us testimony. And then there's the Lord's Day at 7 o'clock. Do come back for the final meeting and bring others with you if you can. We are glad that the seats were filled. Uh, you talked about empty chairs. It would be difficult to lead a meeting. It would be difficult to preach. We had that, if you remember, in those dreadful days of COVID when uh, churches were shut down and we went to preach to empty pews. It was one of the most soul-destroying things I ever did in my life, going into the pulpit. And I knew people were there, albeit on the internet. I think they were anyhow. Um, Well, some people put a text me and said, yeah, I'm, I'm here and Facebook has that little list of people tuning in. So yeah, I knew people were listening in, but just to look out into the church building and to see empty pews, it wasn't something that I look forward to. But we're glad people are back in-house and the preaching of the gospel can go forth with people here. Let's turn to the, the same passage as last night, to the gospel of Luke in the chapter 23. <coughs> As always, we want you to be in prayer, and there's two more prayer meetings associated with the mission before uh, the service begins. If you can come half an hour earlier, in the wee room down below, just as you come in, uh, the front entrance, come and join us at the throne of grace in prayer. We need to pray, brethren and sisters, and be much in prayer at home. want to see the Lord working. We know that the unconverted have been coming in every night. They've been listening in as well. We're, We're hearing that on the internet And we know that there are folks that are troubled and God is stirring the heart and he's moving. We just just long in our hearts for those conversions that the Lord will bring folks right through for his own name's sake. Now we're going to read a few verses from verse 32 of Luke chapter 23. And there were also two other malefactors, that word just simply means criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he be Christ the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him, and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. 
And one of the malefactors which were hanged reeled on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. We're ending there at verse 46. Let's have a wee word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we again rejoice in all that has gone before. We thank thee tonight in the hymns that we've sung and in the ministry and song. We have been led to the very center of the gospel. We've been thinking about Christ and him crucified. We've been rejoicing as we've sung about the mercy of God. And we know that where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And where there was sin in this world, we praise you, Lord, that there was mercy. Mercy to save men and women from their sin. Thank you for all that are gathered here who know the Lord. There was a day in our lives when we were strangers to your grace. When we were destined to a lost eternity. But you brought us under the sweet influence of the gospel. You showed us our need of a saviour. And we turned in faith and repentance. We laid hold upon Christ as our saviour. And he redeemed us, he saved us, he forgave us and pardoned us from all our sin. And tonight we're in Christ. And there's therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. What we have experienced, we want others to enjoy. We want others to come to know their sins forgiven. To have a right saving relationship with God. To know it's well with their soul. To know at the end of the journey it's heaven forevermore. And so we pray just in these closing minutes of our meeting that the Lord would bring a hush, a quietness to every heart. Bring us face to face with the claims of Christ. Show us, Lord, again the message of the gospel. And may there be a turning and a seeking of the Lord tonight in salvation. Have mercy upon us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Those that have been with us during this gospel mission will know that we're dealing just with one day, that day of the cross, when Jesus was put to death. We've been looking at various characters that we meet with in and around the time when Christ was crucified. Last night we were thinking about the dying thief, the penitent thief, the one that repented and got saved. And I want to come back to this individual tonight and I want to speak on the subject a deathbed repentance and I wonder is that what you are looking for is there someone here tonight and you feel this will be you that you're going to live out the days of your life many years in this world you will do your own thing you will go your own places your own way and then just at the end of the journey you will call upon the name of the Lord for salvation and you believe with all of your heart you're going to enter in and be saved and go at last to heaven 
I want to tell you it's a very foolish notion if you have it. It's possible to be saved at the last and the 11th hour, but not probable. My own conviction is that there have been very few genuine deathbed conversions. We read of only one in the Bible who was saved at the last. This man that we read about dying beside Christ, the thief on the cross. It has been well said that there was one so that nobody might despair, but only one that no one may presume. Here is a man and he has only ours to live. Nothing surer, as we said last evening, but this man is going to die. In a few short hours, he's going to breathe his last. He's going to draw his final breath. He's going to speak his final words. His heart is going to beat for the very last time. And then it's eternity for him. He doesn't know exactly how many hours he has to live. But hours it is. He's not going to live for another day. His strength was slowly seeping from his body and death was near. Soon in accordance with the deaths of crucifixion, the soldiers would come and they would break his legs and so try to hasten his death. The most excruciating thing, but it actually hastened the death of those that were crucified. What is he going to do? Beside him, on the cross, on that center cross, hung the bleeding Lamb of God, the only one who could forgive him for his sin. Pardon his transgressions. Give him a certain hope in eternity for heaven. The only one that could make him fit for the kingdom of God forevermore. Cleanse his soul and save him for eternity. At first we know together with the other malefactor, the other criminal, he joined in the mockery of the chief priests, the scribes and the elders. And he he railed on Christ, if he be the king of Israel Let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. But there was a change. Something happened to change his mindset, to change indeed his heart. Perhaps the sobering thought of death was beginning to alarm him. He knew that he was going to die. Perhaps the spirit of God was beginning to trouble his heart. And this man was beginning to realize and understand certain things that that every man and woman needs to understand before they can be converted. He realized for one thing, I am a sinner in the sight of God. He talks about the wrongdoings that he had committed. He, He knew that he was dying for crimes that he had committed, not only against the state, but against God himself. So he knew that he was a sinner. He also realized that Christ was pure and innocent for he states here this man hath done nothing amiss he recognized who Jesus was the sinless spotless savior the Lord of all he also came to that understanding that there is an afterlife that death did not end at all soon he was going out into eternity soon he's going to expire breathe his last breath but he knew that there was an existence beyond the grave and he began to seriously consider eternity perhaps for the very first time in his life and he began to consider Christ's heavenly kingdom 
Only Jesus can save me. That's the way this man was beginning to think. There's no other way. He knew that Jesus could do something to help. Jesus had power to save him. He knew that Jesus was dying for him. And so in in one of his final breaths, he cries out, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And he is wonderfully and gloriously saved. It was a genuine deathbed repentance. In a moment of time, he was born anew. And he was assured about his future. We know that this was a genuine conversion because Jesus Christ gave him the assurance of where he would be in eternity. Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. So here we have an example of an 11th hour conversion. And praise God, it's true. A man can be saved in the 11th hour and enter heaven. Is this what you're looking for? Am I talking to some in the town hall tonight or listening in on the internet and you were looking for that time somewhere in the future when you're going to get right with God? Maybe when you're on your deathbed and you know that you're dying, you've lived out your life on earth for yourself, but you think just at the end, before I die, I'm going to get right with God. I'm going to repent of my sin and by faith lay hold upon Christ. Is that what you're looking for? Well, I want to say some things to you tonight about a deathbed repentance. And I hope that it will bring you to understand that it's a very foolish thing to think that you can be saved just at the last. I want to say to you, first of all, that the majority of people who get saved do not get saved on their deathbed. All the converts of the Bible that we read about, except this one example, they were saved before their death and they had a life to give to God because that is God's plan. God does not save men in this world and then take them home to heaven. If that was God's plan, well then the majority of those that are in this town hall tonight would not be here. God saves us so that we can live a life for his glory on this earth. That was the mind and the plan of God from the beginning. For man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We think of the disciples that we read about in the scriptures, these men that God called to be his particular followers. The Lord saved them. He didn't take them home to heaven. He gave them a ministry. He gave them a work to do. We think of the woman of Samaria. The Lord saved that woman in John chapter 4. And she became a great witness in her town, her city, the city of Sychar. And was the means of bringing others to Christ. We think of Saul of Tarsus. That we read about. Great conversion. Acts chapter 9. When the Lord on the road to Damascus saved this man. Gave him a ministry. He lived for many years. Became one of the greatest missionaries. That this world has ever known. And we think of, of the Philippian jailer. The Lord saved him that day. Whenever Paul and Silas were in jail. For the preaching of the gospel. This man got converted and then he had a life to live. 99% of those that I know have been converted long before their death. You take this congregation for an example tonight. There are many believers here. And if I was to ground you one by one, I know that you will tell me that you were saved as a child. You were saved as a young man or a young woman. You have had many years since to live in this world. 
You were not saved on your deathbed. You have been converted to Christ and you've been saved for many, many years. I could take my family for an example, whether it's my sisters that I grew up with or my present family, my wife, my children. They have been saved for many, many years. 80% of those that I have had the privilege of leading to Christ were converted in their youth or their middle years. Most Christians are saved, therefore, in their youth, long before a deathbed. Very few, and this is just a reality tonight, very few old people come to know Christ. There are some, but generally it is the young. I've had the privilege of pointing others to Christ who have been in their 70s, have been in their 80s, and even, even older than that. But the majority of people came to the Lord when they were young. There was a preacher one time took a survey of 253 believers just very simply to determine what age group the gospel had the greatest effect upon. He discovered that under the age of 20, 135 of those 253 people were converted. Between the age of 20 and 30, there were an additional 85 who had trusted Christ. Between the age of 30 and 40, there were 22. Between the age of 40 and 50, there were four. Between 50 and 60, there were three. And then between 60 and 70, just one had come to know the Savior. I say to you young people tonight, you come to Christ. This is when the gospel has the greatest effect upon a young life, an impressionable life, a life that can be given over to the Lord. And I say to you older people tonight, be very careful what you do with Jesus Christ. Be very careful about putting your salvation off again and again and again, hoping there's going to come another day, maybe the deathbed. The majority of people who get converted, get converted long before their death. The second thing I want you to notice is that most people do not have a deathbed. You ever read the obituary columns in the newspaper or you look it up on the internet and you, you find that word suddenly, unexpectedly, tragically? Think of the many ways in which people are, are cut down without warning. A sudden heart attack, a stroke that claims their lives, a car accident, or those that have been murdered over the years. Think of plain tragedies when, when so many are cut off in an instant of time. Think of the explosion, that, that freak blast that happened in Donegal and those ten people, young and old, were ushered out into God's eternity. Think of the earthquakes that take place in the world. Think of the, the, um, the deaths over in, in Ukraine. So many that have been blown up and murdered in these tragic days of war. They did not have a deathbed. There was no deathbed for the young 17-year-old girl a number of years ago in this very town, working in her place of employment, and she dropped dead. Didn't realize those 17 years that in those years she had a heart defect, and she just simply dropped dead in that place of employment. There was no deathbed for that wee boy that I told you about earlier in the mission, of eight in the village of Loch Gall when the wall fell upon him and his life was taken. There was no deathbed for the fishermen that were swept overboard. I was the minister in Port of Ogie before I came 
to Ballymoney. And one night as I was leaving for a meeting up, up this direction in Ballymena, I heard about a tragedy that had taken place at sea. And as news was coming in, and I think by that time I was driving to the meeting, we were hearing that men had been washed overboard in a freak accident. And then we soon discovered that only one out of the three had been rescued. The other men had died. They did not have a deathbed. I can remember another man who had been fishing off the south coast of England. And he had come into the harbour. They had landed their fish that night. He went out on a drinking spree. And he came back and he fell between the harbour and the boat. And by the time they got him fished out of the water, he was drowned. No deathbed for that man who died without the Lord. There was no deathbed for the young woman of 28 that was found a few years ago in Port Stewart Strand. No deathbed for the many that have been cut off in motorbike accidents. No deathbed for those soldiers and, and those civilians that I've spoken about in the land of Ukraine in these days. These are realities. This is not a fairy story. These are things that you know about. And my friends, this could be you. You could be cut down in a moment of time. You could be numbered among those that have no deathbed. And this could be your history. We could be speaking about you this evening. A record like this could be written of you someday. It is most likely that you will not have a deathbed. The word of God describes it this way, uses the expression to describe this kind of death, cut off. And very sadly with the words afterwards, and that without remedy, cut off, suddenly taken into eternity, and there's no remedy for the individual has died in their sin. Solomon said, for man also knoweth not his time as the fishes that are taken in an evil net and as the birds that are caught in the snare, so are the sons of men snared in an evil time when it falleth suddenly upon them. And so we are not to boast ourselves of tomorrow. For we know not what a day will bring forth. Not one of us tonight. And that's why Jesus says, be ye also ready. For in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. And I know that is with reference to his coming again. We don't know when the Lord's coming again. In such an hour as ye think not. But that can be equally applied to deaths. Got to be ready. For in such an hour as ye think not, death may come your way. But you say, it'll never happen to me. Is that what you're thinking? Those who die suddenly never thought it would come their way either. It just might happen to you. And there's a third thing I want you to notice. Many never think about God on their deathbed. If they have one. The story of the dying thieves issues not only comfort to us tonight. That there was one man who in the hours of death. On his deathbed if you like was awakened in grace. And had his eyes opened and his heart brought to understand and cried out to the Lord for mercy and obtained mercy. But this story also gives us a very solemn warning. It tells us loudly that though there may be those in their dying hours may repent and be converted, it does not follow that everyone will. A deathbed is not always a saving time. 
Never you forget there were two thieves. We speak about the dying thief. Let's remember there were two dying thieves. God may, though seldom does, prepare men for glory just before death. Sadly, most men who reach death are like the impenitent thief. And furthermore, you may have a deathbed, but you might be absent of conviction and the striving of the Holy Spirit. Let me explain that. There's times when God works in a man's heart. We call that conviction. He's convicted about his sin. He's brought to see himself as a sinner before God. The Spirit of God burdens his heart, brings him to see that all is not well with his soul, that he's going to go out into a Christless eternity, into hell itself. And these truths begin to weigh upon him, and there's a burden there. And then he's shown Christ as the, the remedy for sin, the only Savior of man. And that is conviction. That's the Spirit of God moving in the heart and the life of the individual. But that might not always be so. You might come to that place in your life where you are on a deathbed, but you're absent of conviction. And the Spirit of God is not moving in your heart and troubling your soul. There's many, an individual, and this is is quite incredible really, but there's many an individual in hospital tonight whether it's the Causeway Hospital, the Royal, or out in the Gelman, or, or anywhere else through the land, and they're dying, and they have no thought of God. They have no thought about their sin. They have no thought about where they're going. Why? Because there's no conviction there. Furthermore, you may have a deathbed, but you might be absent of your mind. You might be out of your mind. Maybe it's through the severity of pain that you're in. I can remember speaking to someone in Port who was out fishing and they took a heart attack. Now this individual was a Christian, but, but their testimony was this. I was in such extreme pain, I could think about nothing else. I could only think about the pain that I was in. He, he didn't have time even to think about God. Such was the severity of his pain. Or maybe through the disease or the drugs that a person is on, They are not in a proper state of mind to think about eternal things. Again, you may have a deathbed, but you might be absent of consciousness. Think of those that are in a coma and they're not able to think. Oh, they're on a deathbed, but they're not able to process the things of God and not able to consider where they'll be in the great eternity of God. I can remember being asked to go and visit a man who was in a coma and I know that they say sometimes in that state they can still hear. And we sat at his bedside and we, he wasn't a Christian. We, we gave him the gospel. We pleaded with him to come to Christ. I don't know what happened in his mind and his heart. I do know that he went on to die. Oh, my dear friends, understand this tonight. Many never think about God on their deathbed. But there's something else. Deathbed repentance is often not true repentance the great bible expositor matthew henry said though it is certain that true repentance is never too late it is as certain that late repentance is seldom true some souls when they're they're drawing near the end of their days they're facing the gates of death they begin to think about reality They begin to think about death. 
out of fear. Whether it's fear of hell or fear of meeting God or fear of the unknown or of eternity itself, they make a profession out of fear. Now, there's nothing wrong with a true fear. The Bible teaches us that we ought to fear God and the true fear of God ought to lead us to repentance. But fear is not conversion. I want you to see that. I want you to know that. There must be genuine sorrow over sin. There must be genuine repentance turning from sin. There must be genuine faith in Christ. There must be genuine prayer. We talked about fishermen tonight. There was another incident that took place not far from Warren Point. Fishermen had been out fishing in the sea and they were on deck. They were sorting out the fish and there was a large a sea vessel, I think it was a ferry carrying passengers that was going along uh, the waters and they did not see, they did not detect this small fishing boat in the water and they collided. And as they collided, you could understand what happened. The fishing boat was put to the side. Those men fell into the water and they were soon separated from their fishing vessel. And there as they struggled in the water, they watched the ferry disappearing in the distance. They battled for three quarters of an hour in the water before the ferry had realized somebody that was on board had heard the thud and raised the alarm and they, they discovered what might have happened and so they turned back. But for three quarters of an hour they were in the water and they felt they were going to die. And as you can imagine, all those men were praying. And there was one particular man who prayed louder than any other calling upon God to save him, calling upon God to redeem him. Those men were rescued. They were brought back to shore. And when they got back to shore, the man that had prayed the loudest laughed about it all and soon forgot about God. You see, it wasn't genuine. It is a sorrowful fact that those who seem to have a deathbed repentance seldom turn out to be true and genuine when they recover. It was Spurgeon who said, I do not remember a case in which a person who recovered has been at all what he said he would be when he thought that he was in the borders of the grave. You understand that? A man thinks he's dying. A man thinks he's on his deathbed. He thinks he only has moments to live. Calls upon the name of the Lord, but he recovers. He's rescued. What, maybe it's a disease that he has and he's healed from that disease and he lives for many more years and he forgets about the prayer. He forgets about calling upon the Lord. What might have been sought as a deathbed repentance if he had gone out into eternity. Not genuine. Now I know a deathbed repentance is, is very hard to estimate. I just leave it with the Lord. The Lord knows the heart. The Lord knows what business has taken place between the individual and himself. But just to make the point that often a deathbed repentance is not true. I have one final thought tonight. The mercy of God will accept a genuine repenting soul in his last hours. The dying thief got saved. And we know that it was a genuine repentance. In his dying hour he cried out and he was not disappointed. Jesus says today shalt thou be with me in paradise. The conversion of this thief 
in his dying are its most unique. It's the only one of its kind. Furthermore, in all likelihood, he had never really heard the gospel before. He had not continually rejected Christ over and over and over and over again. You see, many of you that that may reach your deathbed without Christ must remember that you will not be in the same position as this man. You will carry to your deathbed a seared conscience, knowing that you put off repentance many, many times, thereby smothering conviction. You refused Jesus Christ 50 times, 100 times, maybe even 1,000 times. You grieved the Holy Spirit and you quenched his strivings. The dying thief here probably had never done any of that. It's Billy Sunday, a great American preacher and evangelist, who said deathbed conversion is like burning the flame of the candle of your life to the ground and then blowing the smoke in God's face. So that was a very powerful illustration of what it might be. So do not think for one moment that your deathbed, if you have one, is a fit time to leave repentance and faith when you have spurned the call of the gospel many, many times and rejected Christ. What is the conclusion? As we read this story and as we think about deathbed repentances, the conclusion is, behold, now is the day of salvation. This is the time to get right with God. If you hear the Spirit of God in your heart striving with you, if you hear his voice, God says, harden not your heart. It's a very dangerous thing to do. I want you to know that the Lord is able to save you tonight. The fact that you're at this mission shows that there is concern in your heart. You're not on your deathbed tonight. Oh, my friend, come to Christ while you have strength, while you have health, while you have some future to live out your days for the Lord. Come to Christ and come tonight for Jesus' sake. Let's pray. I thank you once again for attending the mission tonight. Right at the end of the mission you've come and we're glad to have you. Some of you have been here nearly every night. Some of you have been here every night. And we want to thank you for coming. If you're not a Christian, just want to say now is the time to become a Christian. Now is the time to be saved. Don't you boast of tomorrow. You don't know what a day will bring forth. Don't you think the Spirit of God will continue to give you opportunity to be saved? My Spirit shall not always strive with man. That is the warning that God gives. If tonight there's conviction in your heart, if there's not, there's nothing I or anybody else can do for you. But if tonight there's conviction there and you're troubled and you would love to be saved, don't you put it off. While God is speaking, the Spirit is striving. You come to Christ. Come right away, without delay. 
Make haste to the cross and find in our Savior redemption and salvation and forgiveness of sin and a certain hope for the paradise of heaven one day. Come to him now. We're here to help. We want to talk to us after the meeting. We make ourselves available. Come and speak with us. But don't go away without Christ. Heavenly Father, it is your word. You've given us this example, just one example, that no one might despair, but only one example that nobody might presume. And we pray that there will be wisdom given tonight to seek the Lord while he may be found. To call upon him while he's near. And that verse of scripture just indicates to us there's coming a day when God will not be found and God will not be near. But I know tonight in this mission, as the gospel is preached and men have come to a place like this, the Lord can be found and the Lord is near. And this is the time, therefore, to call upon him. Defeat the devil who would keep men and women in their sin. We pray for victory tonight. We pray, Lord, that you will overthrow the powers of darkness and may the Spirit of God move mightily and bring sinners to Christ for Jesus' sake. Amen. <clears throat> we sing in closing 322, I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small, Child of weakness, watch and pray, Find in me thine all and all, Jesus paid it all, All to him I owe. Rise and sing.
Father, on that victorious note, we leave this town hall tonight knowing that Jesus has paid it all. And we're glad about that. We're glad that he went to the cross and he paid the price for our sin. Lord, may there be those who will come and trust in him and find him tonight as a saviour who paid it all for them. And then with rejoicing, they'll be able to sing a hymn like this with truth. Separate us now with your blessing. Help us, Lord, to think about our souls and to live with eternity's values in view for Jesus' sake. Amen and amen. Thank you.